um, uh, it, is, it is a real honor to be uh, back here at Ellerslie again this weekend. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sid Coop, and I, I've actually been on staff here at Ellerslie for about a year now. And it is true, I live in Kelowna. Now, our, our series that we're going through is called Weather Report here. Uh, I want you to know that um, it has nothing to do with the weather in terms of why I live in Kelowna but travel to Edmonton. Let me just be really, really clear about that. That is not the case at all. Uh, the reason that I'm in Kelowna is because, uh, as Pastor Rick said, my wife uh, is in Kelowna. She's the executive director of Green Bay Bible Camp. So we live at camp um, all year round there, and we love, uh, we love being a part of camp ministry. Um, I know that your church is heavily invested in camp ministry. You know the importance of it. Think about this just for a second. Real quick aside. Think about this idea. Uh, for these two months, July and August, right? I, I, I really think July and August are the most exciting two months of the year in terms of kind of the spiritual climate of our country. Because for July and August, every single day, every single day in July and August, across our country, literally thousands and thousands of children both hear and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? That doesn't happen at any other time in our country except for July and August. And that's been going on in some places for like 100 years now. We're celebrating our 65th at Green Bay for 65 years. Every single day in July and August, literally thousands and thousands of children have both heard and experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just think it's amazing. So we are thrilled to be a part of that ministry there. We love it. Uh, By the way, for those of you um, who know, we have uh, two of, of Ellerslie Rhodes best working with us in Green Bay this year. So we have Caitlin and Amaranta. Uh, They both worked with us in the student ministry here this past year, and they've come on staff for my wife at Green Bay as well. And and so I'm sure that, I don't even know if they know I'm actually here, to be honest with you, but if they did, I'm sure they'd bring greetings to you and say hello. That'd be wonderful. Um, Just uh, give you a quick update. Um, it has been a real privilege for me to be working with the youth ministry. I'm actually only contracted very part-time here uh, with our youth ministry, uh, but I get to work. This past year, I worked with five of our young leaders uh, from the church who were overseeing the youth ministry and, and helping it be functional. We had a really good year together this past year. It was really wonderful to see the number of kids that came through our doors and uh, engaged in, in great relationships with, with awesome mentors, got to um, hear the Word of God, got to interact with the Father. They're really, really, really wonderful. Loved it so much. Uh, and now this next year, we've brought on um, Gabe Piskey and um, Kyle Johnston. And they're on full time with us here at the church as interns in our youth ministry. And uh, we've spent the last kind of two months already planning for this next year. And I got to tell you, they are, they are such, such great young leaders. And they're a part of, of course, a much bigger team of leaders who work with our students. We have around 20 volunteers that work with our students here, which is awesome. Uh, and it's been really fun for the last while just to really think through what could we be doing next year, over this next year, to really intentionally help our students both hear and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been working hard on creating experiences and events and and series that we're going to be working with over the next year, and it's been awesome. Uh, By the way, it's not like our youth ministry here has been put on hold uh, for the summer while we plan for the fall. Um, Every week, uh, our our team, uh, Gabe and the 
Kyle with a number of our volunteers are here at the church or out there somewhere with a whole bunch of young students. So I don't know if you know this, but every Wednesday right now, we have about 30 young kids that are coming and hanging out in our space here and having, by the way, an absolutely awesome time. Now, it was a a bit of a difficult transition. Last year, throughout the summer, we only had about 10 kids showing up. And so we were planning for 10 kids. And then the first day, I don't know what happened, but one of our our young grade six students who's transitioning into grade seven got this idea that he should invite like all of his friends to youth group. I'm not sure who gave him that idea. Really inconvenient for us. Anyways, they showed up and there was like 30 of them all excited, ready to have a great time. And so they did. And so we've reset our plans and it's been a really fun summer so far and really excited about the rest of the summer and into the fall, what's going to happen. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit concerned for this young, this young boy. I haven't met him yet, by the way, but if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to end up changing the world, which would be crazy. So anyways, um, we're, we're really thankful for what's happening there. We think great things are taking place. Um, you know, um, one of the things about camp, you know, when you work at camp, one of the things, of course, that, that you, um, you kind of focus in on a little bit are uh, our weather reports. The weather is actually pretty important in terms of what takes place at camp. And and we've had, you know, all sorts of unique experiences in Kelowna when it comes to weather. Now, again, I acknowledge that there's almost nobody in our country that cares at all about those of us from Kelowna when we complain about our weather. I get that. I completely understand that. But when it comes to camp and the experience that we want to give to our campers, we get, we get concerned about this weather. So this past week, you know... Um, we were watching the weather report. We had a lot of rain, much like up here, not to the extent up here, but we had a fair amount of rain in Kelowna, and so we were uh, changing and arranging programs as we went. Uh, the weather isn't something that we focus on in terms of just weekly. We, we focus on kind of the seasons that happen with weather as well, not unlike our farmers who focus on the seasons of weather. We do too down there. Uh, the last couple of years have been really interesting for us. We've had lots of precipitation in the winter. We've had lots of rain in the spring and lots of heat in the summer, so that's caused a bunch of flooding. Now at our camp, that's actually quite significant. We have a really large dock on the Okanagan Lake in, in, uh, in Kelowna, and it, you know many of our activities center around the area that's, that's, enga- that's inside of our dock. Well, we've had such flooding in the valley over the last couple of years that, that our dock has, has become you know, really ruined, actually. In fact, we're going to have to replace the whole dock. And there was lots of concerns about you know, whether we would be able to make it through this summer because our structures have been, you know, been, been ruined in many ways. And so we've been tracking the weather to make sure that, that even our dock can handle it. And because that plays a significant part in the experience of our kids, uh, we're concerned about whether, you know, um, our, our weather is too hot, which causes fires, brings smoke into the valley. And then that makes people not really want to be outside in the midst of the smoke. And so we're always kind of tracking the weather on that to see how that's going to affect, you know, our guest experience when it comes to their time on the beach and on the dock. And so we spend a lot of time concerned about the weather reports. The problem is every once in a while you begin to start realizing that um, maybe we're spending too much time on the weather reports. Because every once in a while we finally step back and we go, hey, you know what, like we're looking a lot at the weather reports and you almost think that we spend so much time focusing on the weather reports that, that maybe our mission is about like 
building dock. So if the weather's not right, we can't build the dock and that's going to be a problem. And we start, you know, we're, so we're so focused to see what's happening there. Or maybe, you know, we get so concerned about whether we're going to get the sun or not because, you know, and we spend so much time focused there that you'd begin to think that maybe our mission was to have good weather so we could be on the beaches. And every once in a while, we have to stand back and go, hey, you know what, this weather report, this actually isn't our mission. Like, Our mission actually isn't about how much sun do we have or about how much rain do we have or how much time we can spend on the beach or how much time we can spend in the water. Our mission is actually about our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's actually our mission. And no matter what's happening with the weather, that's actually what God is still calling us to lean into is our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's so easy for us to be distracted by all sorts of things from the real mission that we're called to. Isn't that true? You know, and I think we live in a day and age where maybe distractions are, are more prevalent than, than what we've seen before, or we're more easily distracted uh, than what we've been before. My oldest son just got his driver's license, and so I'm deeply concerned about, you know, his ability to focus now that he has his driver's license, because, you know, he's got essentially like a really large weapon in his hands. And so if he's not careful, that thing's going to do damage, if, if not to himself, someone else. And so we really, you know, we want him to stay focused, but there's so much that can distract from his focus. And so we try to mitigate the distractions. We make sure that the phone's in the glove compartment. We don't allow him to answer that. We get things out of his ears. We tell his people who are sitting with him to not yell about other things. We can just stay focused. We don't, we don't, we want him to stay focused on his mission, which for us is get yourself and everyone else around you home safely. That's the mission. We stay there. We're winning. You know, I think sometimes in our journey with, in terms of our faith, it's really easy for us to be distracted. And and what's fascinating is there's many of things that are clearly distractions when it comes to our relationship with with Jesus Christ. There's, there's, There's ways that we're tempted to do things that are completely opposite of the kingdom way be involved in environments that have nothing to do with with God's call in our lives in the kingdom way. It's easy, you know, we understand those distractions, we see them, they're real, we fight against them. But but maybe what becomes even more difficult is is sometimes we get distracted by things that that actually represent the kingdom way. When we have these like really good things that end up becoming ultimate things and, and actually distract us from the ultimate thing, which is Christ himself. And you know, in, 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 um, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus actually speaks to this idea of how easily we can be distracted from the most important thing. And, and, and our distractions come not just from, from the things that are obviously bad and in opposition to the kingdom way, but they can be distracted by things that actually perceive to be really good things. And so the question is, is how do we actually know when, when we're being distracted? How can we tell when, when distraction is beginning to happen and we're starting to move away from the one thing that we're actually supposed to be about, which is Christ himself, and we begin to shift into other things that move us from that? And in Luke chapter 10, Verse 38 to 42. We have this interesting story. Jesus is with his disciples and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's actually starting to move towards the end of his, his life. He knows that kind of the focus point of his whole mission is coming. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, they come past this village and Jesus 
kind of enters into this house of two people named Martha and Mary. And they're actually wonderful people. We hear their names throughout the Gospels. They're friends of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Luke 10, 38 to 42. And it's interesting what happens in, when Jesus enters into their home. Listen to, listen, to what, listen to the story. It says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So here we see kind of this, we see this tension or this comparison that's taking place, right? Jesus enters the home, Martha meets Jesus, brings him in. And Mary, her sister, immediately comes, sits at his feet, listening, engaging Jesus. An intimate experience is taking place there as she takes in his teaching and she hears what he has to say. But Martha's really different than Mary. Mary seems to be fairly contemplative, relationally engaged, but Martha is busy working. In fact, what it says is that she's distracted with much serving. And then it says this, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's interesting when you kind of compare and contrast Martha and Mary. Again, Mary is the contemplative one, the one who's sitting, the one who's engaged. You know, if you're, and Martha, Martha's the activist, right? So Martha's getting stuff done. She's working hard. She's planning. Uh, Martha is obviously the leader of the home. So when Jesus comes into the home, it's Martha that welcomes Jesus in, and the passage says, into her house. So in some way, she's the one that's actually the leader of the home, probably controls the finances, seems to organize things. She's, she's getting stuff done. We, we actually like Martha's, don't we? Like, we actually really, really do. We love Martha's. I mean, I mean um, uh, when we're done this service, we sure hope that there's someone in the environments that we're in that's going to be Martha. Get stuff done. Get it together. Allow us to have plans so we can move on to the next thing. We really, we love Martha. We love the leaders. We love the activists. This would be part of our household. My wife is the activist. She's getting things done. She's working. She's making plans. We're moving forward. Without Jen, our house doesn't move very well. So I, I love the Martha in our home. In many ways, I'm a Martha. I'm also an activist. I like to plan, get things done, move forward, engage in initiatives. We love Martha. The kingdom needs Marthas, my friends. We need Marthas. We need people who are moving and working. When we think about the contrast that Jesus is creating here between Mary and Martha, I don't think the problem with Martha is her busyness, actually. I don't think that's the issue. Because when we look in the scriptures, you know, we're actually affirmed to be at work and to be busy to some degree. Isn't that true? If you take a look at Matthew chapter 24, 45 to 46, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Jesus like celebrates this idea that there's people who are at work, preparing, planning, doing. He loves activists. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uses the parable of the talents. And he speaks about giving different talents to three different people. And the two that take the talents and they work, they engage, and they multiply the talents, those are the ones that Jesus celebrates. The one he doesn't celebrate is the one who just simply buries the talent. That, that, that parable haunts me so often. 
You know, I'll work and, and speak with different organizations, and every once in a while, I'll come to them and I'll say, you know, one of my concerns here is that we may actually be in a position of the parable of the talent, where God has given us something wonderful, but we're just sitting on it. And he's actually asking us to do something with us. He wants us to engage. He wants us to activate. He wants us to lead. God's not against busyness and he's not against work. That's not the issue here with Martha. So then the question is, you know, like, what's the issue? Well, here's what I think the issue is. Martha's working for Christ wasn't the problem. The problem was that her working had superseded her intimacy with Christ. Her working didn't come from her relationship with Christ. Her working for Christ began to take the place of Christ. Instead of Christ being her identity, working for Christ started to become her identity. She became distracted from the thing that's the foundation of our working. It's our intimacy, our relationship, our our focus, our submission to, our humility before Christ. That's what we're called to be about. We're called to be about Christ, and it's out of that he calls us to work. And work hard, absolutely, but it's out of that he calls us to work. But instead, the working had actually become the distraction. And I think, you know, like for us, this is something we have to wrestle with. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, um, you know, for many of us, we love Jesus, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, but, but for many of us, if you're like me, my love for Jesus can sometimes, sorry, not my love for Jesus, my working for Jesus can sometimes become a distraction from Jesus. And I think that's what he's speaking to us here. So the question we ask then is, how do we know when we're beginning to become distracted from Christ? And the principles here aren't just about the good things, but about all things. How do we know when we are becoming distracted from the one thing that Christ has called us to? And how do we reset ourselves so that our work for Christ is exactly that? It's actually for Christ. It's not taking the place of Christ. Three things quickly that we see here in the story. Number one. We can know that we're being distracted from Christ and the one thing we're called to when we begin to question the goodness of Christ. We know that we're in a dangerous place when, when we become distracted from the one thing that God calls us to, when we, when we begin to find ourselves starting to question the goodness of Christ, and especially in the midst of crisis. Listen to what it says in verse 40. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Did you hear that? The first thing that Martha does is she goes, she goes, God, don't you care? I mean, look what's happening. Martha's not helping me. I've got to work. I'm trying to get everything together. Don't you care that she's not here helping me? The answer is, of course he cares. He always cares. Because God is always good. The problem is he just doesn't always care about the same things we care about in the same way. And why is that? Because he's always good. But we so quickly tend to forget that, don't we? Especially in the midst of crisis. It's so hard for us to remember the character of God, the goodness of God, that he cares for us, especially when it comes to the difficult times, the hardships, to know that God still cares and he's still at work. You know, when my son Peyton was small, 
He had a bit of a breathing problem. And so we had to get an inhaler to help him breathe better. And we knew that if we didn't get him to take his inhaler when he was young, it would significantly affect him as he continued to grow older. And so because he wouldn't take a puffer, he was a little bit small for that and he'd fight that, we had to get a mask that would cover his whole face and it would force him to breathe in the medicine from the inhaler that could make him well. I got to be honest with you, when we would have to do the inhaler with him every night, he did not think we were trying to make him well. There was no part of him. In fact, what would have to happen is I would have to grab his arms and hold his head so he wouldn't shake away from me. And then Jen would put the inhaler on his face and he would scream. And he'd try to hold his breath as long as he could. He'd begin to turn kind of purple. And then when he couldn't hold his breath any longer, he'd breathe in and we'd go, yay, you're getting better. And he would just be like, I am not getting better. You are trying to kill me. I'm sure that's what he thought the whole time. You are trying to kill me. And then it would take a little while for us to try to restore the trust again. Do you know what I mean? Of course we weren't trying to kill him. We love him. But it was really hard for him to see that. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes for us in the midst of crisis, if we don't focus in on our relationship with Jesus Christ and rest in the character of Christ, we so quickly forget the goodness of Christ. But what's wonderful for us, my friends, that Mary and Martha didn't have is we have the most intimate example of his love for us because of his work on the cross. And so in those moments when the difficulties come and we begin to be distracted from his character, we take the time, we sit before his feet, and we remember his character seen most clearly in his work on the cross for us. And we have peace. Even in the midst of the crisis, we have peace because we know he's good and he's working for our good. So first of all, we know we're distracted when we begin to question the goodness of Christ. Second, we know we're distracted when we become disengaged from the mission of Christ. So listen to what happens in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And all of a sudden, Martha becomes very, very self-centered in this moment. Life is not working. Her plans are not working. And so she's trying to fix her plans. And what it shows us is that in many ways, life has become about her and life is not working anymore. You know, it's funny how many of the worst times in my life are the moments when I'm most aware of myself and most focused on myself. Isn't this interesting Especially when we live in a culture that that tells us over and over again that we essentially are the center of the universe, that we should do whatever we want. We can be whoever we want to be. But the problem that I found in my life is when I'm most centered and most focused on myself, I'm most concerned about what other people think of me. I'm most insecure because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to measure up. And if I do measure up and if I do succeed... I'm scared that one day I won't, that I'll fail. I'm afraid that it won't last very long. What begins to happen for me is when I become most focused on myself as opposed to Christ and others, I begin to, instead of loving others or enjoying others, I tend to use them as tools to build my own self-esteem or worse, others become obstacles or threats to my personal mission. You hear that with Martha, right? Mary has actually become an obstacle to her mission. She comes to the Lord. She says, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha's not getting on board with the mission, with my mission, but that's the problem. It's not supposed to be our mission. 
The mission that Christ calls us to is never actually about us. The mission that Christ calls us to is always about him and always about others. This is what he calls us into. And it's amazing when we reset ourselves in such a way how our whole experience begins to change. While my worst moments are the moments when I'm most focused on myself, what I find is that the best moments are when I'm least aware of myself and I'm most aware of others and I'm most aware of the Father. When I begin to walk into the room and I'm not concerned about, about how impressed our others are of me, instead I'm concerned about how impressed I am by others. I care about others. I'm here to serve others. That the mission isn't about me, it's actually about the other. And all of a sudden I have this freedom to simply be myself and it doesn't really matter very much how others respond to me because it's actually not about me. I'm here to serve others. And there's this freedom to engage and to risk and to become involved. And God begins to work and transform me. And when my life becomes about his mission instead of my mission, all of a sudden I don't have to be afraid. I can risk and I can try and I can hold things with an open hand because it's not about success. It's just about faithfulness. And there's freedom. There's freedom. Even when the plans don't go quite the way they're supposed to go, there's freedom because they were never really my plans in the first place. You know, we had this moment this past spring with my youngest son. And, and I got to be honest with you, um, I, I am finding myself over these last number of months really wrestling with personal distractions, mostly the distraction of my son. And it's not because he's doing bad things, but it's actually because he's doing really good things. So in two weeks, uh, as a family, we were flying to... Fredericton, New Brunswick, because my son made the provincial team with basketball. And so he'll be at nationals for the next week. And we, we love uh, sports in our home. We love watching sports. I've coached uh, uh, both of my boys in basketball. And so he made the provincial team in basketball. Now it was an interesting journey, uh, you know, the tryouts with the provincial team and everything that went with that. This past year, he didn't have his best year, he had a good year, not the best year. On his local team, he actually wasn't one of the starters. He was a sixth man. Now, they had a very special and unique local team this year. Probably one of the best grade nine teams that BC has ever seen. They won provincial, 4A provincial from a 1A school. They won the provincial final by 45 points. So you can imagine I'm the proud dad, really engaged in the journey of the team and my son. But it was a little bit hard because he didn't play quite as much as he wanted. So then he got into tryouts and he began to work hard to try to make the team. And he made it through the regional tryouts, and then he went to the first set of uh, provincial trials. There were 40-some-odd players there, made it through those two teams. I remember when they were about to choose to see who'd go on to the, you know, final, the final set of 20 players, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, you've done so well, son, like you've made it this far, that's great, and then his name got called, so he made it into the final 22, and we went to the last day of trials, and he just, he played so well, it was wonderful, and, and uh, I remember I was driving home that evening, and we got an email from the coach that, that Cole had made the team, and I was thrilled. It was almost like this great relief had come off my shoulders because the whole time I was wondering to myself, you know, how's it going to be for him if he doesn't make the team? How hard will that be for him if he doesn't attain his mission? Now, I framed it that way, but if I was really honest, part of it was how hard will it be for me if he doesn't make the team? (laughs) Because his mission had kind of become my mission. And then as we were driving home, I realized we actually had two really different missions. You see, he actually wasn't that worried about it. In fact, he began to tell me the story and he said, you know, dad, this has been a really cool weekend for me. And I said, tell me about that, son. He goes, well, 
when I came here, I was really excited that I got to be here. That was cool. And uh, it was almost kind of more than what he'd expected. He goes, but I began to pray and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give my best. So I'm in. You know, why not me? I'm in. I'm going to come and every child, I'm going to give my best. But he said, dad, I started praying over and over again. I said, God, if you want me on this team, awesome. I'm in. I'll give my best. But if you don't want me on this team, that's cool. I trust you have something better for me and I'm in as well because it's actually not about me. It's about your mission. <sighs> okay, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna press in just a little bit because I get, to, I get to go home after this weekend anyway, so why not, right? Man, I wish that, that, that my son's perspective could be my perspective more often. And not just in things with sports. Sports are fine, but they're temporary, let's be honest. They do, they do character, eternal work, I love that. But there's other things that are more intimate to me that are more important, like, um, like church, Church is a hard one for me. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> because um, so often I want, I want my church experience to fit my perceived needs. Have you ever been like that? You know, it's like if this one doesn't kind of line up with what I like and what, what I want, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to be very satisfied with this. It becomes a bit of a struggle for me. And it's, it's almost like, you know, the, the church is my mission. And I was really confronted with this the other day. And, and I got to tell you, one of the things I'm so excited about here at Ellerslie is you are so focused on passing faith on to the next generation that you're fighting to remove hindrances from that. Sounds a lot like the scriptures, doesn't it? Where Jesus says, don't hinder the children from coming to me. You know, like what a wonderful place it is when we in the church sit and go, okay, Lord, if there's anything in our church that's hindering us from bringing the children to you, could you reveal it to us? We'll hold it with an open hand. I'm in. What a, what a great place for us to be. I struggle with this because if I'm really honest with you, for me, church often becomes more about my preference than it is about his mission of bringing the next generation to himself. So a little while ago, I'm sitting in, in our church back in Kelowna. I'm frustrated. Music is like too slow. <laughs> if we sing that course another time, I'm gonna fall asleep, so that's bothersome to me. I'm just like, why don't we just knock down the verses we can get through, move on, that'd be great. The preaching was kind of like interesting to me. Heavy stories, wouldn't mind a little bit of a deeper exposition, but you know, I'm kind of wrestling with that. And I'm a little bit frustrated by the church experience. I'm like, this isn't really meeting my need. And then I looked around the church and I was sitting in this space and there was like two or 300 young adults and teenagers sitting there. And I remember just sitting there going, oh my word, they're actually singing to Jesus and about Jesus and it actually reflects who Jesus really is. I thought, that's not bad. And they're actually sitting and listening to a sermon from the scriptures talking about Jesus and they're being shaped by that. And I thought, that's not bad. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I said, well, what's your role here? And I thought, why doesn't it get in line with Jesus' mission? What if you started praying for the next generation that's sitting here in the service, hearing about Jesus and maybe praying that their hearts would be open to that and they would be transformed by that? And what if you became available to just really begin to pray for the next generation? I mean, what if you got on board his mission instead of just your own mission? I mean, you're going to find space where I can worship, where I can pray. We should try to do that for all generations. I love it. But what if I got on board that mission? And I remember just kind of praying, okay, God, I'm into your mission, whatever it is. And then we had communion and I got up to go get communion. And as I'm walking to go get communion, this young dude in grade 11, I talked to him like just a very few times. He also stops and he grabs me, he goes, hey Sid, 
I go, yeah. He goes, could you pray with me, please? I need you to pray with me. And I'm like, what is that? And I remember just being convicted and going, God, please forgive me when I'm making decisions primarily about my own mission. Help me to move into your mission. Help me to come to a place where it's not about me, it's actually about you and about what you want to accomplish. And help me to lean into that because that's where the peace is. That's where he's calling us to. And when we begin to lean there, we begin to experience life. We know we're being distracted, number one, when we begin to question the character of God. We know we're distracted when we begin to disengage from the mission of Christ, when it's about us, not about him. And then finally, we know we begin to be distracted when we don't experience or trust in the sufficiency of Christ. So listen to what he says. Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know, the word um, anxious means to be torn into pieces in many directions. You're fragmented, you're deeply distracted. The word troubled has this idea of being tossed along like a capsized boat, which is being pushed along in the stream instead of being able to power itself. You're not in control anymore. You're out of control and you're, and you're, just, you're, you're disengaged. You're, you're all over the place and you're desperately trying to put things back together. That's, that's what this idea is, is that there's this anxiety and this trouble and you're trying to put things back together. You're, you're unsatisfied. You're not easily satisfied. The truth of the matter is, apart from Christ, we are rarely deeply satisfied, at least in terms of a long-term experience. Do you know what I mean? We look for all sorts of things to satisfy us, and we taste them, and for a minute, it feels good, but then all of a sudden, we have to move on to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. It's funny how clear this has become over the last little while in our home, you know, I remember when we moved uh, to Green Bay Bible Camp in Kelowna. At first, I thought to myself, in fact, I, I sat down with my boys when we first decided to move there, and I said, hey, boys, we're going to go into ministry, you know, in a new way. We're going to live at this camp. We're going to live in a bit of a smaller space. There's going to be some sacrifice. And then when we got to camp, I began to realize that there was actually very little sacrifice at the camp that we were going to. We, we live in Kelowna. We're actually in the city of Kelowna. We, we live on the beach in Kelowna. We can walk out the door and walk onto the beach and into the water. At this camp, we have boats at, by our house on the beach in Kelowna. I have to phone down to the dock and I go, hey guys, are one of the boats available? Yeah, okay boys, let's go tubing. And we go down and get into the boat that we don't even have to set up on the beach on the, you know, in Kelowna. You know what I mean? My boys like basketball. In our backyard, we have a basketball court, not an outdoor court. We have a full indoor basketball court with glass backboards and breakaway rims on the beach uh, by the lake in Kelowna. This is, this is the life. My kids are wrecked, okay? Like my kids have no concept of reality whatsoever. So the other day, Cole comes home and he's so angry. I'm like, what are you so angry about? My friend... He is, um, his dad is building him a basketball court. I'm like, really? Yeah, in his backyard. And he's going to have like a hoop on this concrete pad in his backyard. He has a basketball court. Dad, why don't we have a basketball court? I'm like, because we have a gym. 
Like we, we act, literally have a gym. I said, son, you are living the most richest lifestyle in all of Kelowna. I don't know another single person in Kelowna that has a full gym as a part of their residence where they live. I just looked at my son. I said, I can't satisfy you. There's nothing I can do to satisfy you. And the truth of the matter is, my friends, when Christ isn't who we're looking to to satisfy us, there's nothing that can be done to satisfy you. We weren't made for these things. We're made to enjoy many of these things. Many of these things are wonderful gifts from the Father that we should be thankful for. But sometimes we become more focused on the gifts of Christ instead of Christ himself. And only Christ can satisfy us. In fact, what Jesus says to Martha is he says, Mary has chosen the one thing. You, Martha, need many things. And none of those many things will ever satisfy you. Mary has chosen the one thing. And that will never be taken from her. She can never actually lose that one thing. You know, one of the greatest examples of this reality is in Job. In Job chapter 1, where he loses absolutely everything. Greatest, you know, the greatest, really the greatest piece of literature I think that we have when it comes to how do we handle suffering and pain and hurt is probably Job. It's complex and it's not simplistic, but it's deep. And it's really interesting, Job at the beginning loses everything. And listen to how he responds when he discovers he's lost his home, his family, he's lost everything. It says, then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. The pain was real. He's mourning. What's amazing is in the midst of the mourning, still he worships. How does he do that? How is it in the midst of the mourning and the brokenness, he can still be together? He can still worship. He says this, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's lost everything and still he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. How is that? Well, the only way that is, is when all that you've lost isn't actually everything. For him, what was everything was God. And he couldn't lose God. And so even though everything else was gone and the tears were real and the pain was real, still there was a resilience and a stability and a centeredness to him because he couldn't lose God. And this is what Jesus says about Mary. He goes to Martha and he says, Martha, you need everything Mary's realized she only needs one thing and that will never be taken from her. And so she's good. She's good. You know, this is what God is calling us into. He's calling us into a life that is centered, that is focused, that is rooted. A life that battles the distractions, even in the midst of the chaos and the difficulty. And the distractions are real. They're not small and the pain is real. It's not small. But when we can focus on the one thing, then even in the midst of the storms, even when the weather isn't right, we can still be right. We can still be right. And so how do we continue to fight to get there? Because, because it is a fight to get there. The battle is real. Well, I think what we need to do is we need to look at Mary. So listen to what it says about Mary in verse 39. It says, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. Now, it's interesting when you look at that. At first glance, you think, okay, basically she sat, she heard his teaching, good, I'm good, move on, let's go. She disciplined herself to um, get into the scriptures, I guess you could say. 
And I guess maybe a simple application would be is if we just discipline ourselves to read our Bibles more, then even in the midst of the storm, we're going to be okay. But that's actually not what's taking place here. I mean, Martha was pretty disciplined, and it didn't seem to help her in the storm, right? Now, discipline is necessary. Discipline is important. Paul says that we should train ourselves to be godly. It requires discipline. But the discipline isn't just for the discipline in and of itself. Remember, sometimes our good works can become a distraction from the one we're working for if it's just the discipline. I think what he's asking for is not just a discipline, but a disposition. A position when we're willing to come and just be before the Father, to sit at the feet of Jesus. You see, in those days when you sat at the feet of the teacher, you were placing yourself under the authority of the teacher. You were not just trusting the teacher, you were entrusting yourself to the teacher. And I think this is what Jesus is calling us to. That if we are going to keep from being distracted from the one thing we actually need, we need to take the disposition of humbly surrendering ourselves to the one that we need, which is Christ himself. And part of the way that we do that is we place ourselves under his authority. And we place ourselves under his authority through his scriptures. And we come and we say, my disposition is to humble myself before you by humbling myself before your word. And whatever you want, I'm in. And that's what he calls us to. That's the calm in the middle of the storm. And this isn't easy, especially in this day where many of our cultural values are in opposition to biblical values. This isn't easy. This is hard. Especially when many of the things that we read in the scriptures seem to offend our cultural sensibilities. When I talk to young adults in particular who are wrestling with what it looks like to disposition themselves, to position themselves before Christ in humility and submission, it's hard because many of their cultural sensibilities are offended by the things that Christ says. I understand that. But if I'm really honest, I don't think Christ cares that much about our cultural sensibilities, does he? He certainly didn't hear. I mean, one of the things that probably made Martha so angry is that it wasn't the women that would seat at the feet of the teacher. That was where the men went. The women went and got the stuff ready. But that's not where Mary was. She was at the feet of the teacher. And it offended their cultural sensibilities, but Jesus was okay with that. I mean, I think one of the things that we actually have to come to grips with, and I speak this especially for our young adults, my friends, one of the things you have to come to grips with is that if you get serious about following Jesus, at some point, he's going to offend your cultural sensibilities because he's not of our culture. In fact, at some point, he'll offend everybody's cultural sensibilities. If you take a look at the scripture's call to purity, We in the West think it's too prudish. You go to the East, it's not strong enough. Offends their cultural sensibilities. When we think about forgiveness, we in the West think it's wonderful, but you go to the East and they think it's terrible. This is how you get crushed. No, we need justice. You know, we need vengeance. And this offends. At some point, the scriptures will offend every cultural sensibility. He's not of our culture. He's calling us to his culture, to the kingdom culture. 
And when we begin to position ourselves and surrender and we lean into him and we enter into that culture, we discover that that's what we were actually created for in the first place. And in the midst of the storm, there is peace. We fight the distraction. We sit at the feet of Jesus. We position ourselves surrendered to him. And in the midst of the storm, there is peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would work in us so that we would have a heart that would long to position ourselves before you. Protect us from the distractions that keep us from you. Lord, make us aware when we are being distracted, those moments when we don't trust your character. Make us aware. Move us back into the one thing we need. Father, the moments that we disengage from your mission and become about our mission, make us aware. Move us back into the place where we are at your feet. In the moments, Lord, where you are not sufficient, you are not enough. Instead, we look to many things. Father, make us aware so that we can reposition ourselves at your feet. And Lord, don't let the positioning just be a discipline. Let it be a disposition where we humble ourselves before you and we say, whatever you want, I'm in. Even if it offends our cultural sensibilities, may we come to a place where we simply say, we're in. So that in the midst of the storms, we can experience your peace. In your name, amen.